and welcome to Conversing with Nature, a podcast of the Nature-Based Exchange. I'm your host, Liz Fly, with the Nature Conservancy in South Carolina. On each episode, I sit down with an expert or enthusiast who talks about their experiences with nature and passes along some of the best practices that nature has taught them over the years. Through these conversations, we rediscover nature and discover ways that we can apply nature's wisdom to the obstacles we currently face in South Carolina and beyond. Today, I'm joined by Mayor Frank McClary, the mayor of Andrews, South Carolina. Mayor McClary, a retired United States Army Colonel, is a native of Andrews. He is a 1986 graduate of Benedict College, where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in criminal justice and distinguished military honors from the Benedict Army ROTC program. Upon graduation, Mayor McClary led a distinguished military career in the United States Army and retired after 29 years of honorable service to our country with so many awards and decorations that I don't have time to read them all now, but we'll post them on our website. After retiring from the Army on August 1st, 2015, he immediately began his campaign and was elected Mayor of Andrews on November 3rd, 2015, and he is currently serving his third term in office. Mayor McClary, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, again, it's a pleasure to see you again. Um, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, so I always start with the same question for everybody, and that is, tell me a little bit about your connection with nature. What do you recall as your earliest or your fondest memories of nature? My connection at this point, again, after uh, entering to this position as the mayor, was actually through uh, the Nature Conservancy. So this came I about. I this. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, the uh, that thousand-year flood brought us together. Yeah. And so I wasn't in the office then. But uh, shortly after that, I got got elected. Then we realized we had significant issues with uh, flooding, obviously. And then uh, your agency and others came along to try to give us some uh, uh, some solutions for what we were dealing with, and in some cases still at today. My career, I spent most of my time out in the wild blue yonders, you know, because uh, I was I'm an infantry officer, and uh, most of my work was done outside mm-hmm. in, in various environments. Uh, from the desert, you know, of the uh, Saudi Arabia to the, the hills and the woods of uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. And so, but then it, the, the difference is right now is that uh, I didn't have a great appreciation for, for nature. Mm-hmm. Um, my perspective as an officer in the Army was that it was about training, but we was limited to what we can do in certain areas because of some, you know, uh, protected species or, you know, a mm-hmm. plant. And I didn't fully understand it or appreciate it. But now I do. And so now I see the benefits of nature and, and for us, you know, doing the best we can to preserve it and protect it. That's interesting. You know, we do work with um, military bases and, yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of balancing, right, nature and the military mission. And, so, you know, you've got protected species that that they've got to be aware of, but while still maintaining the mission. And that can be a challenging balance. So I could see, you know, folks on the base or in the military almost thinking of nature more as a, a barrier, you know, like a challenge rather than um, something we work with. And, I, and again, looking back now, I think something that can help our um, military leaders is to be introduced to these courses, these things that nature, you know, make sure we have it a part of our uh, military decision-making process. When we, when we put these plans together to determine where we go, how we're going to train, what what types of vehicles we're going to put out there, because sometimes it's the things that come from the vehicle that can also harm 
harm the environment. And right. so we, we don't go into that with that with that in mind. We go into it, you know, in terms of just accomplishing the mission in front of us. We have an extensive education program. And I think going back, I would say, hey, you know, we need to talk about these environmental concerns, not just have a person there because they always have someone out there to say, okay, no, you can't go. They can't do this. But again, commanders struggled with that because they didn't personally have, you know, the experience and uh, understanding the impacts. Sure, I can see that. It's like yeah. the one bad guy that's like, don't hurt the environment. <laughs> oh, he, he was not favored. You know, we we would dodge this guy. We forgot the name we called him. Grizzly Adams is what it was. <laughs> Here comes Grizzly Adams. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he he um he stuck to his guns. He made us yeah. he made us do the right thing. That's absolutely right. Well, you kind of touched on this, I guess. But you know, the qu- next question is, how does all of these experiences kind of play a role in what you're doing now? Yeah, now very different. You know, being being a mayor of a town, small town, uh, surrounded by you know the Black River and a lot of you know, a lot of you know vegetation and you know, cypress, as you know, and just the the challenge of what dealing with flooding. So I've learned through this process and over over the last several years about you know being re- resilient and how do we be resilient in times of disaster? How do we prepare ourselves okay. and not you know be in a more proactive role? And so I've uh, learned some things. I'm learning learning a lot. There's so much more to learn. But it's it's going into account. You can see it in some of our work over the past. Again, you know, the rain gardens that uh, you all are certainly responsible for being here in town. It's not only teaching old old guys like myself, but it's down in the schools and teaching our kids the importance of those things. And you know, they see this beautiful garden, but then they're also learning how it helps us. You know, be a little bit more resilient. Yeah. Well, good. We'll dig into that a little bit more as we go. Um, But first, we have you know listeners from all over the state and actually all over the country, which is exciting. So tell us uh, more about, about Andrews um, for folks that don't know anything about it. Okay. So Andrews, Andrews, South Carolina, obviously is a little small town located about um, an hour away north of Charleston and an hour away uh, west of Myrtle Beach. And just west of us and an hour away is, is 95. So we have Two major, you know, roads that lead through Andrews that takes takes uh, tourists and other travelers directly through Andrews. So Andrews is about uh, it, the town itself is about two point two square miles, surrounded by a lot of things. We service about eleven thousand people under the two nine five one zero zip code, mm-hmm. and uh, four schools from you know three public schools, one private school. So that brings in about two thousand students from about eighteen miles out. We own and operate our own water and sewer system. We have a police department as well. It's a small town with a small budget with with uh, big challenges, but it's sitting in a, in an area right again, uh, just south of um, about a about a mile and a half south of the Black River, which is mm-hmm. where our new our new state park is right now. So Andrews is is in a in a great spot right now, not the way I see it, to take advantage of a lot of things that are happening to help it grow and improve the quality of life for for our citizens and our guests. Yeah, I know there's a lot of exciting things coming up, which is really exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> um, historically, Andrews used to be a textile town, is that right? Yes, textile was the old Onita knitting mill. And that that mill employed someone in the neighborhood of about four or 500 people. And it generated almost a million dollars in revenue for the town. That's where we kind of rallied for things. And obviously in the late 90s, along with many of the other textile industry, they left the town. And so that created 
a significant void economically. Uh, a lot of people, you know, lost their jobs and their retirements and those kind of things. So it was pretty bad. And uh, unfortunately, coupled with that, uh, we had lost our water treatment facility. And so those two things in the 90s had a significant impact on the town's revenue. It put us in a place where uh, we have been challenged to get back. Thank God at this point in time, we are doing doing quite well. I'm trying to leverage the things that we do have and, and creating opportunities across the board for uh, people inside and outside to come to Andrews. Well, what made you run for mayor? I mean, you j- just retired from the Army. What made you jump into that? Well, and as people told me now, they said I was I would always mention that coming back because I saw, uh, you know, my parents and all my, my many of my siblings remained here. And so I would come back home every opportunity. I absolutely love my little town. And uh, but I saw over time it started to decline and things again, the impact that Onita had, the impact that um, not necessarily having the right people in the right places just affected the town across the board. And so it was always in my mind to come back. But I didn't think it was realistic. Given, given my success in the military, and I figured, you know, after the military, well, I would, I never had a plan to leave the military because I loved mm-hmm. it so much. But it came a time where uh, we knew uh, retirement was imminent, and I was kind of considering where do I go. Had a divine intervention, and uh, when I was in the Middle East in, in uh, February 2015, and took away all those desires and said, nah, you're going back home. I didn't see how that was going to work out with the timing, but Again, when God has a plan, you just follow the direction and uh, and then things let it let it happen. Oh, and so I came back home, and and so we're we're tackling tackling those issues and trying to move the town forward. We met you, yeah, I guess soon after you'd been elected, toured the town with you immediately, and people would just stop on the side of the road and chat you up for a while. <laughs> I yeah. know it still happens, but um, you're you're out there. That's what I mean. Yeah, I still get hugs. Every now and then, but I had to still, okay, good. yeah, and the hugs are not coming as much because I have to enforce some things that's not that's not uh, well welcome. <laughs> but well, uh, enough a... of them to keep me around, you know, a third yeah. time. So there you go, there you go. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Well, well, that's a nice segue into the next question because you know, as as the mayor, you talk to constituents all the time, right? You uh, so you hear a lot of individual needs, right? But then you've got the community needs. So how do you how do you balance? Um, those? I will tell you, I uh, probably still get uh, to this date more of the individual needs. We're trying to figure out at this point, even how do we get a collective uh, census, you know, from the people on what, what's best for the town. For whatever reason, you know, everybody, you know, your individual or your own family's needs obviously are presented to whomever they think can do something about it. So I think now that we have a vision and plan and everyone, you know, so again, as a leader, you know, you you got to you got to help them see themselves and see the town. And so then hopefully, prayerfully through this plan, everyone will see themselves in it. And then more of them will come to the table to help discuss and help us refine that so they can feel part of the uh, part of the progress. That's the intent. Yeah. You know, in the work that I've done, trying to engage community members in any of the projects we do, it's, it's a challenge, right? I, you know, you hold public meetings or community meetings, but often it's the same five or 10 people that show yeah, up. Or, literally, you know, yeah, five or 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, how do you go about reaching folks? Well, and again, I get smarter, you know, smarter and I'll, I'll probably a little bit more um, aware of how to do that. And I've learned now that you're going to have to have people in the community that few that see it, 
then they become that that bridge between the government and the rest of the community. Yeah. And so, and and the other part of that is success. When people start to see success, sometimes you just have to stick with it, and they start to see the things that you're saying mm-hmm. are starting to come to come to life. And then typically people would want to be a part of that. And so we're having more and more come out. Our community activities now are much larger. Our Heritage Festival, which we had a couple hundred people at, you know, several years ago now, we have 3,000, 4,000 people come. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, we got smart about that, too. We connected the Heritage Festival to our high school homecoming. Okay. So that gave them a lot more to do. And then that brought the locals up when they see their visiting family members here. So mm-hmm. you're always going to have to keep figuring that out because it's going to be somebody that's not aware, not so, not on Facebook, not listening to anything else, but then have uh, have concerns as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It, yeah. It, it's it's yeah, you have to continue to work at it. I know with all the different types of ways to communicate with people now, it it helps in some ways, but I think it also is still a challenge because then you've got to tap into these new new ways to reach people too. Yeah, and I would say the uh, social media is is a good platform if it's used properly. Oftentimes, it, it has given a voice to those who, you know, just for whatever reason, doesn't want to cooperate, doesn't want to move in the, in the right direction. And fortunately, they will have the loudest voice sometime and, and mm-hmm. speak more often. And that becomes what those who don't get out, that becomes their truth. Yeah. And so you got to work through those challenges as well. Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've mentioned the flooding. So let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, and you mentioned the Black River. So I know Andrews has experienced riverine flooding from the Black River over mostly those the 2015 storm you mentioned, right? Those really big rainfall events. But then there's also stormwater flooding, right? From afternoon thunderstorms as we experience throughout South Carolina. So tell me about the different types of work that Andrew has um, undertaken to deal with this flooding. Yes, and you're right. Even even the 15 flood, the most damage was, was done by the rainfall. The cypress trees and all the other things that's in the Black River and around really a protected Andrews proper and never mm-hmm. got into the city or into the town. So that 24 hours or, or 36 hours of just, you know, just, you know, downpour really was the impact. And so uh, we learned then and through other storm events where the problem was. So we, we identified about eight locations within town that would flood regardless of what was going on. And, uh, and it seemed like it was more often after the after the uh, thousand year flood. And I don't know why that is. Still haven't figured that out. I don't know. It's the debris that got into the storm drain system causes it to back up, but it's also the lack of maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so and so from those events, we were very persistent. Uh, as it turned out, the disaster recovery team, the first one was established here in Andrews. So we learned a lot because we had firsthand information. And as they completed the the work in terms of the, the worst areas affected, Andrews was the number one in the state at the time. Oh, wow. And so we got a lot of attention. We got a lot of support. And as a result of all of that, Andrews, along with the Georgetown County staff, received a grant to then uh, to do first to do a study, to study the entire town and its storm drain system. And out of that about eight, nine months uh, work, we came up with about four or five, maybe, maybe, maybe a few more solutions to tackle this problem. And meanwhile, while that was going on, that's when you guys came in and started educating us and showing us how to now leverage other actions to, again, to, to mitigate and to learn, again, to educate ourselves on, on, on our resiliency. So then this study came out. We had those options. Uh, there was enough funding in this grant 
to uh, to support one of those concepts. And so we decided at that time that it would be in the middle of the town, create a new outfall. We had two, but they weren't well take, taken care of. And as they made its way out, the outfalls on the north and south side of town, we'd run into beaver, beaver dams and other mm -hmm. things that led over into the next county. Because geographically, we, we split two counties. So our outfalls on the southern side of the town goes out to the Johnson Swamp. And so then this thing now, so they, they started to work. Unfortunately, they, they've had to pause for some reason that we're still trying to work through. So that uh, outfall is not in yet. Once it's completed, we'll have to, again, we're going to increase the maintenance on the, on the existing outfalls. And then this one get in place and we should... Um, we should be better off. And then yeah. leveraging those other measures that we've talked about to absorb some of this water. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that new outfall is supposed to help alleviate flooding in something like 118 acres of the town or something. Does yes, right? yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's mm -hmm. supposed to be, you know, but again, it's it's delayed. I think there's some contractual challenges I think they've had. That program is actually managed by the county. Yeah, that's a shame. That's been um, many, many years in the making. Yes, <laughs> so yes. And I know, you know, I know federal government grants do move pretty slowly, unfortunately. It's just part of the process. But when you're waiting for a solution to alleviate significant flooding, you want that to happen. Yeah, well, that's, that's got to happen a lot faster, out of, but uh, that's just not the case. Um, mm -hmm. And again, working federal government and, and now, you know, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to it, but it's hard to explain to your citizens who, who are affected every, every storm. Especially like now, we've been getting a tremendous amount of rain. Uh, December last year, the same issue. So, it, mm -hmm. and now we, you know, because of that, not just the flooding, but the water gets into our storm, I mean, into our sewer system, mm -hmm. which increases our volume rate that we have to pay for it. So, it impacts us all, you know, across the board. Yeah. And that's a tough one, to, you know, to try to try to resolve. I think back again to when we first met and took that first tour of town, and you had um, your mayor pro tem, right? Eddie yes. Lee was yes. with us. And before y'all had that grant to do the stormwater analysis, he was out there with a stack of construction paper, right? Like all those different colors of construction paper you can buy because he had been hand mapping all of the drains and ditches in the town. And, and I was just so incredibly impressed with, with that. You, you guys were out there just trying to figure this out even before you'd brought on the, the money to do so. Oh, it is it was amazing to see because I didn't know. I don't think he knew. It's just that that desire to to be helpful and to create a change, a positive change in the town to help the citizens. And I ended up with a copy of all of that stuff. So I had it all in here, but it was accurate. He used a pen. I said, why don't you use a pencil, you know, so you can erase? He said, nope, I need to do a pen. And so he he mapped out the entire town. And I mean, he walked the ground. And I will tell you, had they used those products, they probably would have saved the uh, the engineers <laughs> a lot of time because they're actually. <laughs> I know we had talked about scanning them all into the computer and converting them to to oh, GIS because yeah. I believe they were accurate. Yeah, no, they were very very accurate. I would I could take them and go to the spot and say, "Yep, there's a there's a pipe or missing pipe, or a storm area, storm drain area that's been now filled in." He had it all mapped out. Yeah. It was amazing, and he you know, he's he's still beaming about that today. Good. <laughs> so you mentioned education. How how has education been a, been a part of this as well in terms of addressing flooding? You know, and just in terms of 
maintenance of ditches, right? Telling people not to dump stuff in ditches or what sorts of um, messages have you been trying to get across? And at all of our town council meetings, uh, we've had a couple of, um, we generally have at least one or two town hall and we leverage Facebook. So we we try to teach them not just, you know, protection of the sewer system in terms of grease and all that kind of business. When I was a kid coming up here, all of the ditches and the ravines were open. This was back in the, you know, 60s, 70s. But I didn't know what a purpose for those. And so I didn't realize that was a part of the storm drain system. Mm-hmm. Well, since that time, uh, you know, I was I was away almost 40 years with college and in, in, in the army. Those areas were filled in. And now we're one of the largest ravine or uh, the ditches. It's now an apartment complex. I don't think they install the drain system to keep keep the water moving. And um, and I've seen in a lot of the yards, they've covered the, the ditches nice little pretty green grass and they can't figure out that's what's causing the water to yard. <laughs> and so we try to talk to them about that through different messages and every opportunity. And I think the areas as I talked about before that are flooding, you know, they now get it. They understand yeah. that. We're trying to get the SCDOT to increase their maintenance on the storm drain systems that will help us a lot. And so that's happening. You know, their hands are, you know, fulfilled. They got challenges all over the place. So um, it's a combination of local and, and state working together to try to educate and to reduce these flooding yeah. challenges. I was going to bring that up next, the levels of government all involved in this, right? There's Town of Andrews, there's the two counties, right, that you straddle both and then SCDOT. And I, and I know in the state, the state owns a lot of the roads throughout South Carolina. I think more than maybe any other state in the country. And that, I think, probably... <laughs> leads to them being so overwhelmed and it's hard to keep up with maintenance on all of those. Yes. I mean, when you, when you're seeing grass grow out of a storm drain, that's a problem. We have a couple of cases like that. So again, getting their priorities of the shift is, is again, it's a challenge, especially you're, you're the small town and you're on the outside, not a part of the tourist areas. Sometimes you're, uh, you're forgotten, but I think they know we're here now. We keep knocking on their doors and giving them phone calls. They started to respond. The outfall is, you know, one of those large capital infrastructure projects. Millions of dollars takes a long time, but hopefully will be in the ground soon. You mentioned, you know, the the work Nature Conservancy has done and Andrews and others as well in terms of what we joined with y'all to do is, you know, show that there are solutions you can get in the ground faster, right? Green infrastructure solutions. And I'm not going to sit here and say that a couple of rain gardens and Andrews is going to solve all of the flooding problems, <laughs> right? I'm not saying that, but our intent was a lot more about just bringing awareness and education and putting a couple pilot examples in the ground to show show folks what works. Yeah, I mean, although those were you know two areas, but again, what we've learned from that experience that is now reflected in our uh, visioning plan. So we have all things now, you know, nature a flavor of nature in it, a heavy flavor of nature, if you will. We even established in a nature park. A preserve is part of our, our larger plan. And again, that's going to be a part of our education process. So we are working with the school principal to see those needs, you know, all forms of agriculture, resiliency, all that will be a part of this education center. We're looking forward to that. Uh, we're still having, we're having conversations now with OSI mm-hmm. and other agencies that may be able to assist us with moving that forward a lot faster than we'll be anticipating. Oh, good. That's yeah. great. You just show us the way and then we'll uh, we'll take it from there. And that's what you guys, that's what the Nature Conservancy have done for us. And we appreciate you all staying in touch with us. And even even for this 
this uh, this discussion we were having this morning, all of that keeps it on the forefront. You know, we can get very distracted by other things and slip back into a reactive mode to these challenges. But when we continue to have these types of engagement, it keeps us reminded of, of what we need to do with respect to um, building some resiliency into our system. Well, you know, it's funny, gosh, probably 10 years ago now, we kicked off a project in what we call the North Coast of just hoping we'd get some nature-based solutions on the ground. And everyone we we spoke to said, you got to go to Andrews, you got to go to Andrews. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, it takes time to build relationships and partnerships. But um, but I've been really thankful for for the partnership with, with you and the town um, for all these years now, because, you know, I think we have made some good progress and I'm so pleased to hear that things will yes, continue. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners, when you do pass through Andrews, because you should, um, yeah, swing by the library. We've, we've got one of the rain gardens there and then one at the high school. And the high school one was really, well, they were both very exciting. I know I'm supposed to be asking you questions, but I just want to share <laughs> share this story because the um, at the high school, we um, worked with the wonderful teachers who work with the special education students at the high school. And so we got to give them a presentation about green infrastructure and stormwater management and, and the job opportunities that, that can come out of that. And then they came out and they helped us install the rain garden. Um, and it was just so, it was exciting that they really like lit up and were like the job opportunity thing, you know, like this is something I could do in the future. That's awesome. So um, yeah, that was, that's, that was that's really what I remember. Yeah, I remember the looks on the kids. I had an opportunity to come out and take some pictures with everyone, but I was more interested in watching the kids and see how they reacted. And so where you by the library just across the street is a uh, after school program. Mm -hmm. So those kids who wasn't part of that, you know, they were very interested. I heard later from um, the care provider over there that uh, they're very excited about it. And um, so, yeah, so it's even even those that we don't have direct contact with. They're learning and it has generated an interest in uh, in those kids. So that's something we need to foster. And a big shout out to Mr. Jody. Can't remember his last name, but Jody Bouchette. Yes, yes, he uh, came Bouchette. out with an excavator at those sites and and excavated the the hole for us, which saved a lot of hours of digging. <laughs> so much appreciated that you allowed him to come out and help us. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it was a team effort. So uh, now we appreciate. It. Anytime we get help, we're going to do our best to chip in as much as possible because we know you guys can, you know, the need is is everywhere. And for you all to come to Andrews, uh, we feel very special. All right. So you've mentioned the new state park along the Black River, um, but tell us a little bit more about that and what the opportunities are for Andrews and that. Oh, wow. Real excited about that. The state park, uh, long story short, is is that is that thing we 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 believe now we can hang our hats on in terms of uh, an economic boom, economic opportunities, learning as we talked about earlier because this thing is this thing is huge. It's the 48th park for the South Carolina State, the first one in 20 years, and it happens to be right there, again a mile and a half, two miles uh, from the city limits. So a part of our vision and plan, we've developed concepts in there that will directly connect us to the Black River. And so we want people, you know, again, like me, as a kid, I was baptized in the, in the Black River. And as I said before, it didn't seem like a baptism then because I wasn't a, wasn't a very good swimmer. And to be dipped in the Black River <laughs> felt more like an attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's much more than that. You know, my family, we've always, uh, part of our meal came out of there because we love the fish. And uh, and so now to see it as, as an economic opportunity that will not only attract tourists into town, but attract 
those demands that you know people will need when they come here, lodging, dining, and those kinds of things. So that's happening as we speak. You know, we've had businesses now coming in because they're now paying attention to what we're talking about. And again, we, the town, has um, about 200 acres of land adjacent to the Black River, which again will be a part of that education center we talked about and some other things. And hopefully that will generate some revenue and provide, you know, part of the education system. And so that that's huge for us. Through Andrews and OSI just received a $6.4 million grant from Boeing mm-hmm. uh, to purchase another 1,800 uh, acres of track, you know, track out there to continue this 70 mile stretch of uh, the Black River. So essentially you'll be able to do anything on the Black River. They'll have several parks along that 70 mile stretch. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you have it in you and you want to kayak or, you know, the entire 70 miles, it starts in King Street and ends in Dunbar at uh, Rocky Point. We hope to have something in the middle. Andrew sits, in, I mean, directly in the middle of that. And so uh, we're the heart of this thing, as we describe it. And uh, we want to have something in, in conjunction with the uh, Black River uh, Cypress Preserve, which is was founded and established by Butler Foundation. That kind of is where Andrew's property kind of abuts uh, that property. And so a lot of great things are happening along that. And um, it has generated a lot of interest just had a company in October moved here from Florida. It's one of the largest uh, fabric producing companies, uh, Myatech. And, uh, you know, so they heard about it in, in Miami. So he see this thing and they see the, our geographical location and how that benefits his business in terms of moving his product and just being here and being a part of a new city, I mean, a city that's growing and have some opportunities. So we're yeah. excited about it. Yeah, for sure. So who have been some of the key partners? You mentioned OSI, that's Open Space Institute. Open Space Institute. I always will say uh, TNC, South Carolina Parks and Rec. And then, of course, we tap into as many of our senior politicians. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham provided about $5 million to the, to mm-hmm. the town of King Street for their portion, development of their portion of the park. Uh, we're working along with Congressman Clyburn's office, Senator Ronnie Sab and those guys up there who you know, have their hand closer, you know, closer to the purse to make that happen. And pretty much anyone that comes along and they see the vision and want to contribute. And uh, I'm finding more and more uh, foundations want to do that. It's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to, you know, take advantage of that and, and be good stewards of those dollars. So, yeah, we're very excited about that. And I hope that didn't leave anyone off. The combination of public and private dollars for these sorts of um, initiatives is really exciting. It's exciting to hear that Boeing has contributed to it as well. And again, we mentioned that, you know, federal dollars. So yes. um, really good to capitalize on all those while we can. And OSI has been really, really helpful in in, uh, in being that being that advocate for, uh, not just for us, but certainly, you know, trying to get the Andrews part of that uh, moving because both ends, I think on both ends of, of the river and at Rocky Point, it was, it's developed to a, to a point where it's, it's, it's useful right, that right now. Same thing in King Street. And so we're, we're kind of starting from scratch. So the whole um, vision and plan and getting that plan in place so we can have something to show, you know, and say, Here, here's, here's a concept. Because otherwise, any, any, any lenders or donors wouldn't have the confidence that we. So yeah. we got that in place. And uh, now I, I talk about that all the time. People complain about funding plans and studies all the time, but you got to, right? It's so critical to have that plan in place again to, to prove that you're going to do something with it. Yeah, you have to have yeah, you have to have what we call skin in the game. You got to have a plan. I mean, I mean, just like 
you know, I wouldn't give my own personal resources to something that I don't believe in or I don't think you're going to, you know, use it for the right purpose unless I can see it. And that's yeah. the same thing. I think, we're, you know, we're talking about other organizational agencies. So plan in place. And again, you know, that was my life is operating by plans and orders and structure. That's why we, we do business here in Andrews as well. So the visioning plan that you mentioned, that um, really has a lot of components to it, right? I mean, it's the connection to the state park, but, you know, there's kind of a downtown revitalization piece. As you as you mentioned, a portion of that connecting us to the Black River. And then what's, what's not in this plan, but has been certainly my number one priority is the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So we got to go back and, and add that to it as we refine this plan. But the downtown revitalization plan is huge. We believe that over the last eight years that we've been doing the things that reinforce our foundation in the town, which is the infrastructure. Just put a lot of effort in that, a lot of a lot of funds. A couple of years ago, we hired a uh, code enforcer, which we've always had the codes. We just never enforced them. Mm-hmm. And so then you see the, the buildings were dilapidated and, and there's kind of business. But um, in the last two years, I think we demoed about six, seven buildings that were just in beyond repair along Main Street. Thanks to the Dale family, they had a building there, they took it down, and they made a beautiful park, which really now is the center of the town. And then we're starting to paint. The town has a couple of uh, storefront buildings there, and we've converted one to a youth and community center, which is now the home of our new YMCA. So the YMCA Girl Scouts all go there because the uh, citizens needed a place to go. We didn't have a facility that the town owned. So that's right on the main street, which again adds to this revitalization. So we're starting to look better. And uh, we got some funds coming in for that. We use some of the uh, accommodation tax and hospitality tax dollars for those upgrades. And we just turned over this portion of the plan to an engineer to begin to design it now. Well, even more reason for folks though. You got to come on down. Yeah. I I tell them, you know, the food is good. We have some great seafood. You've been to Mel's. Mel's is a great uh, deli. Mm Mm-hmm. Best chicken in the world, super chick. So a lot of great reasons to come down. I say if you pass through Andrews, it's likely you'll see you somewhere. Speaking <laughs> of Mel's, I was sitting there eating lunch one day and I look out the window and you're standing in your suit in the middle of the road directing <laughs> um, one of those vacuum pump trucks. Oh, you were there? <laughs> then? You were there? Yes. I said, oh, there's Mayor McCleary. <laughs> you know, we have small staff. I spent an incredible amount of time learning the system. If you know what you're working with, you you know, you can make the right decisions and, and timely decisions. And so I've become very familiar with our water sewer system. Anytime there's something very complex, you'll probably see me out there, uh, you know, directing traffic. Well, what is, <laughs> what is something you've had to do as mayor that you never expected? No, oh, be a part of repairing sewer lines and uh, yep. water lines. I knew it's in me because, you know, as an officer, I would often go out and spend time with the troops on the service line or whatever it is, because for me, it's a part of leadership is mm-hmm. sharing some of the hardship with your folks. They do all the heavy lifting when they feel that, you know, we we recognize that and we care, uh, hopefully. And then we can't pay them all the money that they deserve. So you got to show them that you really care. And I've learned that now that I'm, I'm back in the civilian sector, I've got to do things differently It's from communication understanding because in the military, you know, we give orders, everybody understands, everybody, you know, to excuse your young young troops have a certain of education and training 
that they understand when they're given a mission, they can go out and execute. Not 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 the same in the civilian sector. It's a lot lot more hands on and teaching and coaching. Yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with that, but not I wasn't expecting to be in the, in the sewer pits. <laughs> in the trenches, right? And what's your and, and the trenches, yes. Yeah. So we're out yeah. there, we're getting it done. And thank God now we have some uh, some very capable employees out here that's doing a great job and has pushed me back into the office. Timing is great because of this plan we we're talking about is so much work to be done. Mm-hmm. Coordination and uh, and and really not a challenge right now is keeping up with all of the opportunities that's coming in. Yeah, that's you know it's a good challenge, but that's that's right. where we are. But before then, it was uh, it was chest waiters and boots, gloves, mask, and hard hat. So get creative, and if you had a billion dollars at your disposal, how would you use it to support nature? Ooh, well the park would be done. And I know that's a lot. There's a lot of resources that come with that. And not everyone see it. And I'll say that uh, even with the new track we just bought, there was a hunting club on there for years. Mm-hmm. And they weren't very happy when that when that when that track got bought because now, you know, they had to have to move that to a new location. Mm-hmm. But I would certainly do those things that contribute to others, you know, who, you know, in, in the state and, and around because again, small towns that's there's there's several municipalities that surrounding this area here. So I could, I would help them as well. I'd, I'd have my own park like, like, uh, like the Butler foundation. Yeah. It's so peaceful. People come out and every, I think it's either changes your attitude when you come out of your, your mood changes, you instantly feel alive. And so I'd have my own, I'd have my own preserve for, uh, for people to come out. But yeah, I would certainly help with, with the things that matters. Then. And I, I hope that for you. Cause I, you know, I think, we talk a lot about getting out in nature and just sitting and listening and observing and realizing how good it is for you. And, you know, and you've had to deal with the other side of nature, right? Which is nature's fury and, and flooding and the things that can happen. But if you can also appreciate that other side of it, it makes a huge difference, I think. And get to the kids. It's getting the kids out. So whether that's field trips of different places or just getting them out. And I know the schools don't, you know, don't have a whole lot of money. I would, that's where it is. I've learned. I mean, that that is it. When we educate our kids, I mean, just like anything else, it's what you pour into them is what you're going to get out of them. And yeah. so we don't have that right now as a part of our curriculum. And so a portion of that funding would go there to get our kids out, go back, you know, have the gardens back there, the whole agriculture thing. And um, mm-hmm. so, so much more things that, that matter. And, um, and we are challenged by the, again, social media and all the other things that go on that pull their attention from these things here that really matters. Well, what's something that we can all do to positively impact our environment? For us, we continue what we're doing. Continue continue the education piece of that. Come down like you always do. And, and again, once you, if you could touch base with them, because I know there's, again, there's other municipalities close by that haven't had the opportunity for, for one reason or another to be exposed to what you all bring. And, uh, and if I can get them all here and they listen to you, it's just that education and they see the importance of it. I think that will change their minds and then that will hopefully reduce, you know, some of the heavy lifting that that organization like yours and others do. Because now we have people involved. We have communities, you know, back in the day here, recycling was huge. We don't do that anymore. Hmm. And so then that has increased now. And I think the litter that often gets in, get into the river and other things that causes problems. 
So if we can go back to that, and I know some other places are probably better than here, but we used to have program where if you clean up and take these type items down there, you can get reimbursed some some small fee for it. Mm-hmm. And that that again it would help people who for whatever reason not in the workforce, give them something positive to do and then clean the streets. Yeah. And keep that stuff out of there, preserve, you know, and just little things like that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. What's so, the barrier to having a recycling program? Is it that a cost on the town? It's probably a cost right now, but I, but again, it's something I need to think about, especially during the budget and time. So if I can set aside some funds, which I will do, then that will that will uh, employ some of the folks again for whatever reason. If they're not in into the workforce, that'll give them something mm-hmm. positive, constructive to do. They get paid for that. A lot of little things that we can do again if we all fully engage in in our piece of the of the pie. Yeah. And that's it. Us to be talking to the citizens, the government, DOT, everyone yeah. do their piece. But it's all start with education. Well, what gives you hope for the future? Oh, I'm always going to be positive because I, I could see it. I could see the opportunities, not just for our little small town, but the, this county, Georgetown County, has great opportunities. And so that that gives me hope. I see it there. It's, it's a matter of having the right people in the right place. I think sometimes change is good. I see that happening because we have many of the old leaders from the past, but things have changed. We need some of the young minds coming in. We're trying to get some of our folks to come back home and to uh, you know bring their ideas because that's what I've learned. Had I stayed here in Angels, I probably wouldn't, I know I wouldn't have had the experiences and, and have the vision I have now had I not gone and traveled around the world. So that's one of the big things we want. I can see it. So I, I can feel it. And and we keep praying and trusting. I love your positivity. Well, Mayor McClary, thank you so much for talking with me today. Andrews has just been an inspiration for me over the years. And this podcast and the work that we do is really trying to reconnect people with nature. And I think that Andrews is, is doing that, right? And capitalizing on the excitement around the Black River and and the work that everyone's doing together. So I'm excited to keep working with you and seeing um, Andrew's success in the future. And again, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being a part of it and for, and again, helping us understand and see the importance of nature. We really appreciate Nature Conservancy and um, we're partners for life. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Conversing with Nature is a podcast of the Nature-Based Exchange and is supported by funding from Honda. To learn more, visit our website at www.naturebasedexchange.org. I'll be back next time with another guest so we can continue learning from nature. Until then, go make some memories outside. Mm -hmm.